It's a presidential election year in the United States, so we're starting the year off right, talking about presidents and UFOs, right now on UFO Mod Pod. Hello, friends, and welcome to UFO Mod Pod. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Maureen Ellsbury. Thank you so much for joining us of the first episode of 2016. Yes, welcome to 2016. This is our first episode of the year, and it's going to be a good one. So let's jump right in and talk to some UFO headlines. We're going to start with a story that kind of blew up at the very end of the year. A video was recently uploaded to YouTube, and it shows what some are calling a UFO fleet over Santiago, Chile. The video shows multiple aerial objects with bright lights moving through the night sky. And similar illuminated UFOs have appeared above the city for years around the same time of year. UK media outlet Express describes that in the latest video, these things were recorded over buildings in the city, a fleet of four elongated bright objects appear to be made up of individual orbs. They seem to drift in formation across the night sky. How weird. The UFOs in this latest video do look strange, but the appearance and behavior of these objects is consistent with conventional man-made aircraft. If you've ever watched airplanes at night uh, queuing up for landing, especially if they're coming straight towards you, they look really strange and can even appear like they're hovering at times. There's nothing in this video that would suggest to me that the aerial objects are extraterrestrial. And visible blinking navigational lights on these craft are a pretty good indication that these UFOs are just planes. And media outlets like Express and the Daily Star have pointed out that some believe this latest UFO fleet video shows flying drones or Chinese lanterns, while other, others believe that it's just a hoax video. Now, when I look at it, the video doesn't look like a hoax. And the objects certainly don't resemble or behave like Chinese lanterns. The objects look like planes and act like planes. So I'm pretty convinced that they're likely just planes. The plane explanation is even more likely given that the Chilean Air Force holds its graduation ceremony for its military aviation school during this time of year every year. And a squadron of T-35 Pian training airplanes perform an air show to conclude that graduation ceremony. So with all of the available information we have there, you know, I don't think there's anything that would say this is really bizarre, something out of the ordinary when it's actually quite ordinary for that location, that time of year, and what we see in the video. A little weird, but uh, I, I don't think alien spacecraft. Now, and and unfortunately, we're going to see this next year, too, and the year after that. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. It, it's one of those things where, uh, especially with a timeline of events, uh, I believe these were the uh, T-35 aircraft that just look, take a little time to look into it and see that, oh, yeah, you know, there there are some odd air things happening at this time uh, before we immediately start publishing online that they're aliens, because it seems this is a pretty clear-cut example of not aliens. Right, and there's a there are airports in the area. These things do look like planes. They don't even look as, as bizarre as I'm sure they did at times, flying in tight formations and doing crazy um, acrobatic things in the sky. They appear to just be peeling off one at a time and, and getting ready to come in for a landing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm sure they looked even more bizarre, but uh, yeah, again... I encourage people to go spend some time in a major city where there's lots of air traffic, a major airport, and see how bizarre it does look to see airplanes coming in for a landing. The the way they do holding patterns in the sky, the way they change position and how the lights, they really do look like hovering flying saucers. It's crazy. Yeah, and I'm sure you guys, you remember the videos coming out of Las Vegas um, a couple years ago, I think, no, but... It was the same sort of thing. You mm-hmm. have a airport in a major city, and you have uh, repeated sightings happening on a strict timetable. Right. I mean, common sense would tell you this is probably a very, you know, very Boring. scheduled event. Yeah. 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 So, agreed. Yep. Pretty sure that's what we have here. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, what do you have for us, Ryan? 
Uh, today, guys, I've got some news that I'm sort of titling the sweet spot, as it were. Um, Ooh. While Ooh. many missions are gearing up in the next few years to explore the possibility of ET life, uh, new research has just come out from astrophysicists Roseanne DiStefano and Alec Ray. Their research suggests that our best place to narrow in on may be a cluster of stars just on the edge of the Milky Way. DiStefano and Ray describe the stars as a globular cluster opportunity. And recent discoveries that have identified exoplanets near stars similar to the sun have given them hope that searching near this cluster may yield interesting results and bring us one step closer to possibly finding life. One recent discovery in particular is of interest to them. This is the planet Methuselah, which of course has a ridiculously long numbered letter name, but for short, Methuselah. Um, it's the first exoplanet to be detected orbiting a star within the cluster. And according to Di Stefano, this is an indication that there must be other planets in that cluster. She also points out that while most areas of the cluster couldn't sustain liquid water and much of the conditions would be hard for any life to thrive, there is a particular sweet spot where there are planets close enough to one another that life could not only survive on them, but possibly be able to travel back and forth from planet to planet. And we mentioned on the last episode, guys, the uh, the dramatic budget increase in space exploration, including our missions concerning Europa being done in conjunction with uh, SpaceX and mm -hmm. NASA. And it's giving us more hope that in the coming years, it could bring us closer to discovering life elsewhere, just outside the Milky Way or even within it. And this recent news of the sweet spot cluster has indeed only sweetened the pot of possibility. Yeah, so I mean, there's the I, pun for today, guys. I, I can't <laughs> even imagine what uh, incredible things are waiting in those clusters. Um, yeah. So it is exciting, but like we always say, there's plenty of exciting things happening, not only in the in, in the Milky Way galaxy, but in our own solar system. And like you said, Ryan, with the increased NASA budget, with the things uh, that are currently underway, the things that are uh, on the drawing board. Oh man, it's just it's. I get really excited reading about it. I can't wait for the stuff to actually start happening. And there is actual exciting stuff already happening. There's so many missions that are already out there, things that are flying in space. So we're learning yeah. so much more. And uh, I, I can't say enough how much I firmly believe that we are going to find life in our solar system. And and you know why this is such a big thing, too, is uh, – even the terms, let's look at this, Methuselah, globular cluster and sweet spot. I mean, this is talking about the sexiest of all sexy of space exploration yeah. here. I mean, Hell yeah. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> we're, we're venturing, exactly. <laughs> we're venturing into the unknown of the sweetest variety. So uh, I firmly believe also we're, we're about to discover some super exciting things. And, and I can't wait as well. Uh, as Jason, but we we have another ongoing saga happening, and this has been going on for a good, let's say, 27 years. And this is a mystery surrounding an element that did or didn't exist, uh, but it turns mm. out, hey, it officially exists. On December 30th, obviously 2015, the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry officially added four super heavy elements to the periodic table. The seventh row is complete, uh, including one that's been heavily shrouded in ufological mystery. So the journey to official status for this element was not a short or an easy one. Its existence was first suggested in 1989 when Area 51 whistleblower Bob Lazar claimed that an extraterrestrial spacecraft was being held at the top secret base's S-4 facility and was powered by an element with 115 protons. Now, he also stated at this time that the U.S. government had 500 pounds of the element in their possession. His claims obviously were widely dismissed because there was no element 115. So then in 2003, it seemed that the tides were favoring his statements as a team of scientists at the Joint Institute for Nuclear Research, or JINR, discovered, quote-unquote, the element with 115 protons. And, of course, the problem was the stability was lacking and the isotopic decay ratio was less than a second. So, you know, seems a little doubtful it's powering an extraterrestrial spacecraft. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, followed up, KLAS-TV investigative reporter George Knapp spoke with Lazar about the discovery and pointed out that the material decayed almost instantly. Knapp then reported that Lazar said the first batch was only a starting point and that he will be proven right in the long run. Lazar went on to explain that I'd like to see them continue to work and produce different isotopes of 115 because they're going to come up with a handful of different varieties and they're going to come up with a stable isotope. And that's what we're interested in. So the existence of this element then was further strengthened recently in 2014 by a team of Swedish researchers at the JSI Helmholtz Center for Heavy Ion Research in Germany. Live Science reported on this and explained that the research team shot a super fast beam of calcium, which has 20 protons, at a a thin film of americium. The element has 95 protons. So when these atomic nuclei collided, some fused together to create short-lived atoms with 115 protons. So this was huge. And the research was led by Dirk Rudolph, a professor at the Division of Atomic Physics at Lund University, who explained that although scientists from the Glenn T. Seaborg Institute and the Chemical, Biology, and Nuclear Science Division at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory announced the discovery of the element back in 2004, it had yet to be officially acknowledged because independent confirmation is required to measure the exact proton number. And he thought that his team had done just that. That was a big thing. And and we waited around for years. And then finally, at the end of 2015, we were added to the periodic table. And this justifies the element's existence. Of course, it's not stable enough for a task like powering a craft. But with Lazar's assertions that it's only a matter of time before scientists reach stability, the story has gained substantial credibility in many people's eyes. The element is currently called Unumpentium and UUP, which is considerably close to up, if you get my drift. Oh, that's yeah. pretty funny. I like it. <laughs> it it's kind of it's kind of interesting. So, you know, some people are saying that Lazar's story is now justified because we officially have element 115, which he announced 27 years ago. And some are suggesting that its official name should be called Lazarium. <laughs> but uh, what do you guys think? Hmm. I'll, uh, I'll just chime in and say, guys, I mean, I, I understand people's contention with possibly Lazar saying that that's what powered these craft when he was working at Area 51. But all we really know is that he was working on that element. Um, never did Lazar say that the craft he saw being, you know, in flight or being propelled, that it was completely done with element 115. We just know that he was working on that element and trying to harness that energy at the time. So um, I think this is great. I think it does justify what he said so long ago. And um, it's only a matter of time. Only a matter of time. Well, yeah, I, I think they'll be able to make it fall into that island of stability, I'm, I'm sure, just a matter of time. I don't think it necessarily proves or disproves anything. Lazar wasn't the first individual to come up with element 115. People like to Mm -hmm. give him credit for that and think, oh, somebody said element 115. That proves that what Bob said is true. That's not necessarily the case, guys. But this is a step closer in that direction. And uh, so it's cool. And for, for the UFO community, it's great to see that now existing on the periodic table of elements. So very cool. And, and and you make a good point. And, and I just want to say this, like, how easy would it be to be like, oh, yes, there's an element 117 or mm-hmm. 118, because you know that's <laughs> coming down the road right. on the periodic table, the, the couple numbers up. So right. it's, it's something to think about that it might be easy to just throw out a number and say, oh, that element. <laughs> I, and then 50 years down the future, we'll be like, oh, there's element 125. It's you know? easy to predict the future. <laughs> if only, <laughs> when, if only. All right. Some right. people are better than others at uh, making things up. <laughs> well, Give me my crystal ball. Yep, that's right. Well, here's somebody who may or may not be making things up in the near future. We'll find out. But you probably heard this story. Former First Lady and Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton reportedly plans to follow in her husband's footsteps and probe the UFO issue if she becomes president. Yep, we're talking Hillary Clinton and UFOs. Who saw that coming? Well, everybody. 
On Tuesday, December 29th, the former New York senator and former secretary of state visited the office of the Conway Daily Sun. This is a free daily newspaper in New Hampshire. GOP candidate Marco Rubio and even Jeb Bush also paid a visit to the paper's office recently. So the paper has been having candidates come in and doing interviews with them. Clinton came in and she discussed foreign policy and the economy. During her visit, she also discussed UFOs. And that came up because a reporter who she'd spoken with years ago at the paper remembered that she liked UFOs and brought it up with her. The guy's name was Damon Steer. And when he asked her about UFOs, she responded, yes, I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Well, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> her husband, Bill, made attempts to uncover UFO secrets while he was president. He specifically did some digging related to the 1947 Roswell UFO incident, as well as the mysterious military installation we just talked about, Area 51. In 2014, Bill Clinton even appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live, and when asked about his research, he said he didn't find any evidence of extraterrestrials. But when Kimmel asked Clinton if he would inform the public if he had, Clinton said he would. And then he added, what do we know? We know we live in an ever-expanding universe. We know that there are billions of stars and planets, literally, out there, and the universe is getting bigger. We know from our fancy telescopes that just in the last two years or more, that 20 planets have been identified outside our solar system that seem to be far away enough from their sun and dense enough that they might be able to support some form of life. So it makes it increasingly less likely that we are alone. Bill Clinton's chief of staff, John Podesta, is currently Hillary's campaign chairman. This former counselor to President Obama is a strong advocate for government transparency when it comes to knowledge of UFOs and files related to UFO phenomena. When Podesta left the White House to begin working on Clinton's campaign, he publicly voiced regret over not being able to get government UFO files released to the public. He tweeted that on, uh, on Twitter, and he's become very vocal on Twitter talking about UFOs. When asked about Podesta during her recent visit to the Conway Daily Sun, Clinton stated, He has made me personally pledge that we are going to get the information out. She added, One way or another, maybe we could have, like, a task force to go to Area 51. Hey, there's a good idea. <laughs> Clinton also reportedly told Steer, I think we may have been visited already. We don't know for sure. Well, that's interesting. If the conversation between Clinton and Steer went down as reported, it's pretty interesting to see her speaking publicly about the topic now. It's taken her a while, and it's, that's, it's surprising it's taken this long because she's got Podesta in her ear talking about UFOs all the time. But then again, we have to be realistic about these comments and think, well, she could have perhaps been uh, under the assumption that she was having an off-the-record conversation with a reporter who would think that reporters would ever – print what you say to them in private, right? <laughs> but uh, also, when Huffington Post reporter Lee Spiegel asked this reporter about his conversation with Hillary, he did say that he believed she was joking. So who knows? But it is an interesting conversation. It's interesting to see this stuff going out in a public forum. You know, Podesta's been doing it for a while now, and now Hillary is talking about UFOs in public. And and this is one thing I'll say is is it doesn't matter. I know there's a lot of Hillary haters out there. It doesn't matter your political affiliation with this. What it is doing is it's bringing the conversation to the present. So yeah, we're getting right. uh, sort of this being highlighted in the media. Well, that is great. So no matter what you think about Hillary, obviously, I've already stated this previous episodes. I don't think presidents are going to be able to divulge any secrets um, or sort of blow the lid on the whole UFO phenomenon uh, when they're in office, just not going to happen. It's not realistic. I think slow movements probably happen. But at the same time, it's good that it is out there to discuss. Exactly. I agree, guys. And I saw one person comment on this story saying that, oh, she's just trying to get the UFO vote. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> how big is that vote, actually? Let's be honest. Yeah, nobody um, cares about the UFO vote. Yeah, yeah. But you make a great point, Maureen. I think a lot of people in power um, have said one thing, and then when they get into office, realize that hmm, it's so much not the case. So, yeah, I agree with you guys. This is a very interesting story, and it did bring it into the present, which I think is what we should take from it more than anything. Well, in our effort to provide a modern introduction to the UFO phenomenon for a new generation, on each episode of UFO Mod Pod, we highlight a historical UFO case. And because we're talking so much today about UFO-related comments made by a presidential candidate, 
We're highlighting a presidential UFO sighting, Jimmy Carter's UFO sighting of 1969. Former U.S. President Jimmy Carter did, in fact, witness a UFO, and he even filed a UFO sighting report with the now-defunct International UFO Bureau. Although Carter's UFO sighting is commonly said to have occurred during his tenure as Georgia's governor, the incident took place two years prior to his taking office. The sighting took place just after sunset in 1969 outside the Lions Club in Leary, Georgia, while Carter was waiting for a meeting to begin. Carter and at least 10 members of the Lions Club witnessed an aerial object as bright as the moon that, quote, came close, moved away, came close, and then moved away. This UFO changed shape, changed color, and varied in brightness. The sighting lasted for approximately 10 minutes before the strange object moved away and disappeared. Carter used a tape recorder he had with him that night to dictate his observations, and then he wrote them down when he got home. So he's pretty confident in the description and details provided in his UFO sighting report. But although Carter and the other witnesses were perplexed by the unidentified object they observed that night in 1969, Carter has clarified on many occasions that he never thought the UFO was from outer space. While attending the Southern Governor's Conference a few years later, then-Governor Carter stated, One thing's for sure, I'll never make fun of people who say they've seen unidentified objects in the sky. Yeah, and I mean, this is, this is a big thing if you think about the political landscape. Sometimes saying, I had a UFO sighting or I believe in this, uh, it's, it's straight suicide. So <laughs> the fact that Carter came forward with this, even though, in my opinion... The description, if you listen to it, despite the fact that he says it disappears quickly, sounds a hell of a lot like Venus or some other natural explanation. I, I'm assuming this day and age, if we had analyzed that sighting as it came, we probably mm -hmm. would have been able to find a rational explanation. But he went into the office saying, I'm, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to try and help everyone out here. And then yeah. we see the, you know, FOIA uh, requests. That was a big thing that came out of his regime, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's sort of known as the, the UFO president. He said he was going to get the UFO files released. And uh, you could say in a way he sort of kind of did with his uh, his role in, in getting FOIA and the release of, of documents that way. But others think that he completely let down the UFO community and the promises he made but look, even I think his sighting and his testimony are important because they come from a rational place. You know, he <laughs> did take the time to file a UFO sighting report. He did take the details of his sighting seriously. He was genuinely perplexed and curious by this object he couldn't identify. He didn't understand what this thing was in the sky, and he wanted to find an answer for it. That's what a UFO is. A UFO doesn't automatically mean extraterrestrial. It certainly could. The fact is there's something bizarre in the sky. You have no idea what it is. That's what a UFO is. He, he saw it. He knows what he saw. He wanted to make sure the details were accurate in what he reported. And that's the thing with you know these sightings. All you have is witness testimony. So I agree with you. When you hear the description of it, it certainly sounds a lot like you know a celestial body. But at the same time, you've got that in piece of the disappearing quickly but what does disappearing quickly look like you know did a was it cloud. dark and the cloud moved in front yeah. of it and you couldn't mm -hmm. see it i mean that happens a lot when you're out looking at stars i mean that can happen you're like whoa it just disappeared but then you realize there are clouds there that you can't really see um so yeah a lot of things could have happened but despite his not being able to identify it he didn't know what it was he thought it was weird he didn't think it was extraterrestrial now, I'm I'm a little crazier. I, I would probably, you know, still entertain the possibility that something I saw and I couldn't identify could be extraterrestrial. I wouldn't throw that out. And maybe he didn't either. Maybe that was just what he was saying publicly, which would be smart in his position. But uh, I, I do enjoy reading these and looking back at, at the reports. Um, there are there public officials, even presidents uh, involved with UFO sightings and, uh, you know, anytime you have a, a public official or, or, or somebody that is in uh, public office, somebody that typically doesn't want to look crazy when they speak publicly about UFOs, uh, it's fascinating to read and, and hear what they have to say. 
and someone who has spent quite a bit of time researching the subject of presidents and UFOs is our guest today, Grant Cameron, an author, UFO researcher, and the proprietor of the website presidentialufo.com. Well, Grant, the year just started, but we already have a Clinton UFO story to discuss, and we're really glad to have you with us today because you know a little something about UFOs and the Clintons. So uh, I guess before we jump into this recent Hillary news that's exploding everywhere, we'll step back a little bit and talk about, well, I guess the Clintons in general. The Clintons, it's really no secret that they've had an interest in UFOs, particularly Bill and uh, you've done quite a bit of digging into files, particularly with the Clinton Library related to UFOs. So why don't we start there? Why don't you tell, start by telling us about some of the research you've done in the past, these FOIA requests um, and UFO-related documents in the Clinton Library? Okay. Um, I've been chasing the president since, I guess, about 1985. And uh, when Bill came in, there was rumors that he was kind of interested I did a lecture in Arkansas, and a woman who claimed to be the sister of the woman who owned the barbecue restaurant where the Clintons hung out as uh, young adults in Hot Springs, Arkansas, told me that uh, they'd had a sighting, or someone very close to them had a sighting. And she never did confirm back which, what she knew. But it was at that point I started sort of uh, chasing the, um, uh, the Clintons, and I knew how to do FYAs. Like uh, FYAs work differently with the presidential libraries than they do with, uh, say, the FBI or the CIA or whatever. Basically, it's first come, first serve. That's how they open up documents for any presidential uh, library. Hmm. It's first come, first serve. So if you happen to have, as I did, 11 of the first 18 FYAs into the Clinton Library, where mine and they're all about UFOs, uh, suddenly you get this sort of, it looks like uh, the Clintons are really into UFOs. But I filed... Um, about, I don't know if it was a hundred, but it was quite a few um, uh, FOIAs with the Clinton Library. And what they were, were based upon uh, documents that I had recovered when the Clintons were in office. There's two agencies inside each White House that are exempt from the FOIA. One of them, one of them is the OSTP, the Office of Science and Technology Policy, which is the office of the uh, science advisor to the president. And it's exempt from FOIA, so you can actually file right now with Obama, and we have done that with, with his uh, science advisor. So I filed, uh, I first heard that um, uh, Bruce McAbee had filed for these documents, and a dentist in Maine had filed for the documents. And uh, I heard Bruce McAbee had got 500 pages. I filed, and I ended up getting 1,000 pages of documents, which have now become known as the Rockefeller Initiative documents, which talk about this initiative by the uh, billionaire Lawrence Rockefeller, who uh, decided when the president came in in, in 1992 that he was going to get UFOs disclosed. And uh, he went to the White House, and what this 1,000 pages is, is this uh, correspondence going back and forth between Rockefeller and mostly people in the Office of Science and Technology Policy. And uh, they go and reinvestigate Roswell. That's where the Air Force investigation from Roswell comes from. It was uh, Rockefeller demanding an investigation and Bill Clinton greenlighting this. So I had all these documents, a thousand pages. And so I knew how to do the FOIAs with the presidential libraries because I've been to most of the presidential libraries and have filed in almost all of them on the UFO stuff. So I knew that exactly five years to the day the president leaves the office, his his records become open. So when it came to uh, January 21st, 2006, I was ready and I filed my FOIA with all these uh, uh, different requests based upon the Rockefeller Initiative. I knew who had been involved. We had a lot of names and uh, I filed and all this stuff started to come out. Most of it I actually have not read. I sort of gave up on it. Uh, I would say there's probably 10,000 plus documents, pages of documents from the Clinton Library um, based upon what I had requested. But a lot of it's very tedious stuff. I, I did the, like, for example, the Area 51 file, which is, I think, about 400 pages long. And there's only maybe two or three pages that are worth reading. And you're paying huge money to, if you want to get it photocopied. It's 75 cents a page. So I basically filed for all this stuff. And you have, I don't know if you remember the story. Bill Clinton had gone and asked for uh, Webster Hubble to go out and answer two questions um, 
are there UFOs and who killed JFK? So I knew that uh, Bill Clinton was fascinated with JFK as well. So one of the FOIs I filed was all uh, documents inside the Clinton Library on the JFK assassination. And I think there's about 7,000 pages or something. Like mm. Bill had an investigation done on that too. So all these documents are there. Some of them I, I went down on a number of trips. I sort of photocopied them. And I basically handed most of it off to uh, Dr. Uh, Joe uh, Bookman. And he has the original Rockefeller documents. And I sort of gave up on it, real, realizing it, my personal opinion is that consciousness is where the answer is and experiencers. So I sort of moved off this uh, presidential stuff. I believe the president knows. I firmly convinced every president knows what's going on. He just can't talk about it. Uh, but I figured he's never going to talk about it. So why go down this road and spend all this money and this time when there's more fruitful things to do? So I sort of gave up. And then suddenly... Um, Starting last February is when this started. It didn't start uh, a couple of days ago when Hillary did it. It started with John Podesta. It is, as I'm telling people on Facebook, uh, quit watching the puppet. It doesn't matter what Hillary says. It doesn't matter whether she thinks she's going to do it or whatever. It's Podesta's behind this whole thing. Podesta was the former chief of staff for uh, President uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, he was uh, fascinated with the X-Files. I actually wrote a long article on him when he was still in the White House. Uh, he, he's absolutely enthralled with the whole subject of UFOs. And he is, most importantly, what I call a Madison man. He's James Madison. He's very much into open government. He's into open documents. Uh, and Madison had stated, the president had stated, that you cannot run a country unless the people have knowledge, that, that the country will fall apart. And Podesta, if you read, there's a speech that he gave to his alma mater back in the 1990s, if you read it, you realize this guy is big time. This is not something that he really uh, is just sort of uh, giving lip service to. He really believes that everything and everything should be declassified. Uh, in 1995, Bill Clinton uh, passed this famous executive order to uh, declassify all the documents inside the Clinton Library or the, inside the 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 um, the government and what they did is they set up rules that if it was over 25 years old you had to declassify the document unless it was uh, it had some real specific reason to keep it secret and basically what he was trying to do was to flush out uh, the UFO documents and it was John Podesta who was behind this initiative he's the one that that helped Clinton to form this this uh, executive order and 800 million pages of documents were declassified most people don't know this through the through the uh, the Clinton um, effort and John Podesta's effort although none of it the UFO stuff came out but a lot of stuff on a lot of different subjects came out so John Podesta is big into disclosure he's big into open government and he's behind this and he uh, I had gone, as most people know, he went back uh, and helped Barack Obama set up his cabinet. He's a very powerful guy. He started the Center for American Progress, the big Democratic think tank. He's the guy that started. He is the main thinker inside the Democratic Party. He's very, very powerful guy. Very, very smart guy. And uh, he went back to the Obama administration to help Obama in uh, 2014 and he makes this famous tweet on the day that he leaves uh, to go to run Hillary Clinton's campaign. He makes this famous tweet and said, my biggest disappointment of 2014 was not getting UFO disclosure. And what he does, and I didn't realize this until Steve Bassett pointed this out, he copies Maureen Dowd, who is no big Clinton fan from the, I think, New York Post. He copies her on this tweet as if he's stirring the pot. He wants someone to pick up on this story. He wants to do this. So he does this famous tweet as he leaves. And he, ha I believe that all this is John Podesta. It's John Podesta pushing this issue. And he, he, from this tweet, I believe that he talked to Barack Obama. And Barack Obama is still, his hands are tied. Barack Obama has talked about this issue a number of times. He's leaked a bunch of stuff. He said things that he he um, he shouldn't really have said, uh, because if you take a look back at the days of uh, uh, Jimmy Carter, of uh, Ron, even Ronald Reagan, and especially the Bushes, they never used the word UFO when they were in, in the White House. And Barack Obama is using it all the time. He's mm -hmm. dropping all these hints. He, I believe that he, he disagrees with the policy, but his hands are tied. So I believe what happened is Podesta talked to Obama in 2014. He tried to make a move. Nothing could still happen, and he's still determined to get it out. And so this is part of his effort to flush these documents out 
he knows where they are. Everybody knows where they are inside the government. It's just because it's kind of classified material. Uh, they can't move the material. Barack Obama's hands are tied and Podesta's doing what he can to get this material out. And that's why Hillary uh, came forward. You can even remember a couple weeks back, uh, um, Podesta actually made a tweet or not a tweet, but a, a comment. Uh, I, Hillary was being interviewed by somebody on a, on a video and he actually makes a comment and said, good video why don't you ask her about the aliens mm -hmm. so he's pushing this he wants this as a a key issue he wants this out there and uh if on uh, i think it's january the 18th they have the big democratic debate if hillary gets asked a ufo question this thing is going to go big time viral and i keep telling people don't worry about what hillary says this is a, an issue of consciousness raising it doesn't matter who says what uh podesta I believe knows he's polled. He's a smart guy. He's running the campaign. Uh, he has polled this issue, and it's no longer a toxic issue as it was when um, uh, Kucinich got wiped out by it in mm -hmm. the 2008 campaign. This is a, an issue um, that is polling well. And when you when you're doing elections, you don't really care about the Democratic voters or the Republican voters. They're going to vote the way they do. What you do is you poll the, the swing voters. And I think that's what uh, Podesta has looked at. And he realizes this is an issue that um, the swing voters will go for. And that's sort of verified by the fact that yesterday he uh, put on a, a tweet from um, Jennifer um, uh, Epstein. Epstein from from Bloomberg where she looks like she had made a contact with Hillary. And so he retweets her tweet. And it, and that almost confirms the fact that he likes the way this story has gone, that, that it's polling very well. He likes the reaction and he's trying to get the thing going again. He's stirring it up again with, a, with retweeting another thing just to keep the story going. So I think it's a big story. I think it's got nothing to do with whether Hillary's going to do anything about it. It's got to do with the fact that this is now an issue where it wasn't 10, 20 years ago. You could not ask the question about UFOs. Now this is a question which is a permissible question to ask. And I can give you the example. In, 2000, in 1997, um, Deborah Oren from the New York Post, and she was a uh, hate of the Clintons. She asked the question when Webster Hubble came out with his book, Friends in High Places. Uh, he asked the famous question, you know, he says Bill asked him to go out and look for UFOs. So um, uh, Deborah Oren asked the question in the New York, in the, the White House press uh, briefing. She asked the uh, press secretary, is it true what, what, what he writes in the book about uh, Clinton asking him to go you look for UFOs? And twice the uh, press secretary walks around the question. And Deborah Oren was interviewed later, and she said, I waited for someone else in the press corps to follow up, because you can only ask two questions. You can ask a question of follow-up, and then you have to shut up. And she said, I waited for the rest of the press corps to follow up, and they all just rolled over and played dead. So it's, it was a question in 1997 that you don't ask the dumb UFO question, but it's now a question. I think that's the most important part of this story. It's now a question where you can ask it without uh, the chuckle. And if it does get asked in this Democratic debate, uh, this is going to be a big story. I think you make an interesting point, too, where we have Podesta also, uh, where we've seen this transition. He's never really been in the media um, very publicly about being a pariah for his interest in UFOs either. And and he's very open about it. I mean, he wrote the foreword of Leslie uh, Kane's book. He yeah. has openly spoke about it at UFO events in the past. Uh and it's a very interesting time that that some reason that he's seen as as somebody that has a really sharp head on his shoulders and that can uh, maybe move this issue forward. Whereas um, in the past, like you said, Kucinich was ridiculed for uh, making comments about it. Um, yeah, the, the Kucinich was caught off guard. He sort of got sort of uh, the question, whereas Podesta has put the question forward. He started right. the, the whole thing. And I think that makes a little bit of a, a difference. Uh, and the polling is what it all comes down to. That's what I, I think people have to remember. If John Podesta is putting this stuff out, they're polling this stuff. That's how it works. And, and I tell the example of uh, people all know the famous story about, um, and I wrote it up on my website when I first got the Rockefeller Initiative documents. And this is the story about Bill and Hillary going to the Rockefeller Ranch in 1995 for their summer holiday in August of 1995. 
what people don't realize when you read the background on why he was there, it was his advisor, Bill Clinton, was losing the election in 1995, the 1996 election. He was down in the polls and Dick Morris took over the, the campaign. And that's the same position that John Podesta has right now. And he did the polling in 1995 and he realized that the swing voters in 1995 were people who were into technology and they were into wildlife and outdoors. So he told Clinton, you got to go, you got to go and you got to do the outdoor thing. You got to do the rafting and the camping and stuff like this. And Bill was furious. That's the last place he wanted to go to the Rockefeller Ranch because he usually spent his holidays in the Hamptons <laughs> golfing with his rich buddies. And Dick Morris, if you read his his uh, one of his books, Dick Morris talks about the fact that when he phoned Clinton at the at the Rockefeller Ranch, he had to hold the phone about two feet away from his head because Clinton was screaming at him to get me the hell out of here. He didn't want to be at the Rockefeller Ranch. This is not where he wanted to be. But because the polls said that the swing voters were into nature and they were into technology, he had to go and do it. And that's how it works. It works by polls. It's not that anybody's going to, you know, come with his school. Disclosure. I keep telling people there is no messiah. There is no perfect politician who's going to bring disclosure. It's a matter of this issue getting out there and being talked about. And eventually you get a situation where everybody's talking about it. And it's like gay rights or gay marriage where suddenly, uh, you know, somebody says, you know, what's the big deal about gay marriage? You know, uh, and everybody just sort of accepts it. And that's what's going to happen here. It's a slow, gradual uh, shift in consciousness. And that consciousness shifting takes place when people talk about it. And this thing, you can see how viral this thing has gone. It's all over the world now. And if, they, as I said, if it gets asked in the Democratic debate, then this is going to be a major thing. Trump is going to have to answer the question. And people are going to be talking about it. And it's like the, the old thing. It doesn't matter how, you know, what they say about you as long as they spell your name right. As long as people are talking about it, consciousness will rise and people will make the right decision decision when it's all said and done. Well, Trump already does a lot of talking about aliens, but not the right kind of aliens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but jo yeah. John Podesta noticeably has been uh, more vocal about this issue and uh, generating UFO headlines of his own. And Hillary even acknowledged in a recent statement that Podesta is the one who made her personally pledge that we are going to get the information out. So that's fascinating. I really would love to sit down with John Podesta and have a nice conversation but Grant, I've got to ask you, so with, with Hillary's recent comments saying that she will look into Area 51 or Roswell, those are things that Bill already looked into and claims that he found found nothing. So why, why do you think Hillary would then go and look into those same issues? Do you think she would have different results? Well, as I said, it's got really nothing to do with whether she, she probably knows this is for real. Uh, same as Bill knows it's for real. Bill was briefed. I believe the president knows it's insanity to think the president doesn't know what's going on. Uh, he, he runs 17 intelligence agencies. They all report to the president. Uh, he's the head of uh, state. So uh, you have a situation where if you're dealing with a foreign power, aliens, uh, you, the head of state has to deal with them. You can't have a GS-13 negotiating with, a, with aliens. Uh, he's the head of the, the chief executive officer of the government. Uh, it doesn't matter. He's the he's the uh, civilian head of the military. It doesn't matter what a, a, a agency you look at. He's the top of it. The president knows what's going on. So Hillary knows what's going on. She helped edit a letter on UFO disclosure to uh, Bill Clinton when she when she was the first lady. She knows this for real. It's all it's got nothing to do with whether she thinks she can do it. It's got to do with how this thing is polling. And she thinks that this is this is worth votes. Uh, Podesta has told her to do it, and uh, she's done it, and she will do the same as everybody else. Uh, once you get in there, like I, as I say, there are there are there have been seven Democratic presidents who have handled this issue. There are six Republicans, and whatever your politics are, whatever you think about people being able to pull stuff off, everybody has done exactly the same thing. They've gotten in there because once they get in there, they realize that they don't have the votes in Congress, they don't have any support, and they, they're limited by security. Someone comes into the office and briefs you and says, Mr. President, there's a top secret briefing, it's classified this, whatever, and they tell you the, the whole story. You're the last guy that's going to be the traitor and go and tell the, the, the top secret secret on, on whatever it is. So they all know it's, it's we'll get in, and then we'll do what we can. Now, Podesta may have a plan to get this, this material out. And uh, I think Obama's doing the same thing. I, I wrote a book called UFOs, Area 51 and Government Informants. And in that book, the whole book is about the fact that I believe the government has been leaking stuff all along. They do it indirectly. And, and what's happened here is almost the same thing that happened at the end of the Reagan administration. What you have here is you have a lame duck president. You have Obama who can't really do anything 
but he's willing to go along with this uh, initiative by um, talking about UFOs, uh, by greenlighting Podesta to go and do this 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 thing. And what happened at the end of the the Reagan administration? What you see is that was when the major leak took place about the live alien and about the the Condor and the Falcon. This famous documentary that took the, that. Um, UFO cover-up live, which was uh, broadcast and started a lot of the stuff we believe now. Area 51, that's where Area 51 came from. That documentary first mentioned Area 51 as being the place where we were back in engine flying saucers. That was all released in October of 1988, about uh, uh, three weeks before the election. And that's what happens at the end of the, the campaign. Uh, when, a, when a president is leaving office, you can have these, these initiatives where you sort of move to the, to the next uh, thing. I think Obama, I think uh, Podesta has got a plan. I think he uh, is going to try to shake this thing loose. And uh, he just can't get any cooperation from Obama because Obama's hands are tied and Hillary's gone into it. But it has nothing to do with whether she thinks she can do it. When she gets in, she'll do what she can. But she'll be like every other president that uh, there will be all sorts of things standing in her way, classified material, weapons, uh, technology, all this kind of stuff. Or the fact that the government really doesn't understand the real complexities of the UFO issue, which is consciousness. It's ESP. It's, it's time and space and, and the non-materialistic world, all this kind of stuff where they really don't have a grasp of what's really going on. They sort of know aliens are here. They have a little bit of uh, technology, but they really don't, they don't understand how it works. And they, they really can't back engineer this stuff the, the way that people think they can. But they definitely know it's, it's for real. Hillary knows it's for real. And this is just to get votes. Mm -hmm. So do you think, all right, we have, we know that we're not going to get this massive disclosure from a president saying, you know, aliens are here. Is there a one president in particular from our past or, or current that you think has had the most significant effect on sort of slowly leaking this information out or that they have done something that has really transformed the ballgame for today? Uh, I think I've all done their parts. For example, most people think that Jimmy Carter did nothing. If you take a look, Jimmy Carter did a lot of stuff. Jimmy Carter went in there and he approached uh, George Bush and he asked for the UFO files. He wanted them released. And Bush told him, you can't, I'm, I can't give them to you. You have to go to the House Senate, uh, the House Committee on Science and Technology. What he's asking for is the files for the people. He's not asking for the top secret stuff because Jimmy Carter had it. Bush would not have told him to go to the House. The House wouldn't have the top secret files. So he asked for the files for the people. And Bush said, no, you can't have the files for the people. Curiosity is not sufficient need to know. He put his press secretary to go to the FBI. He sent his uh, um, science advisor to go to NASA to start a new uh, investigation. But it's always their hands are off. The fingerprints of the president are off. He'll work through the back door. So Jimmy Carter did a lot. Almost majority of... Um, of all the FOIs we have, whether it's CIA or whether it's uh, FBI, all that stuff came out during the Carter administration. J uh, there's a story told by um, Kit Green, who ran the weird desk at the CIA. He talks about this story about this girl who had come into the, the office and she broke down crying. They were under so much pressure from Carter's administration to uh, with lawyers to get these documents inside the CIA and FBI that this girl couldn't take the pressure, the one that was sort of in charge of, of gathering the material together. We don't realize this stuff happens behind the scenes, but the president can't do it openly, but they will do it behind the scenes. Ronald Reagan did a lot of stuff. Ronald Reagan actually disclosed and nobody even pays any attention to it. He stood up and we have it, uh, Steven Spielberg talking about this on tape for Steven Spielberg said he stood up after the screening of E.T. the extraterrestrial. He looked around the room as if he was doing a head count. And he said, I just want to let you know that everything on this screen is absolutely true. And there's only a few people in this room that know it. And so he said that and nobody paid any attention, even after Spielberg made the statement. So a lot of them have done stuff. Barack Obama has made numerous statements, uh, numerous. He, he, this statement he made to Will Smith's son about um, if there had been a top secret meeting, it would have taken place in the Situation Room. And uh, the fact that he um, he goes on to uh, the Kimmel show and he knows what the questions are. You, you don't go as a president and not know what the questions are. And so he allowed himself to be asked these UFO questions. Right. And this is this is all set up stuff. It's all indirect and it's all cloaked in joke. 
because then the, the media will drop it. But you, you take a look at what Obama's doing. Obama is dropping hints. He's, he's basically saying, even this last statement where, I think it was GQ magazine, where he does this interview, and they don't follow up on the question. He says, uh, th- there's not as much top secret stuff anymore on UFOs that people think there is. And it's like, well, the obvious question is, there should be no top secret stuff. What do you mean there's secret stuff? What are you talking about? But the media is still sleeping on the issue, and they don't really pick up on these these, these questions. For example... I was talking to the, I had this interview with the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago. They ran this big story. And I told him the whole Hillary story, that Hillary was in the middle of the Rockefeller initiative. Everything that was going from Rockefeller to the science advisor, from the science advisor back through Rockefeller was going through the first lady's office. And he said, I don't see the significance. What's the big deal if the first lady is interested in UFO disclosure? I said, the subject does not exist. And of course, when he did the article, he just left out the Hillary thing, the whole thing that, and I gave him the documents. Uh, He said, I haven't got time to read the Rockefeller Initiative documents. I'm busy writing a story. And so that's what happens with the media is they basically want to do the tinfoil argument, uh, tinfoil hat thing. And they're really not interested in looking at the evidence. The evidence is there. Hillary was big time involved in the Rockefeller Initiative. She knows what's going on. She's like Podesta, very, very smart, very powerful, not a stupid lady. And uh, it's all very calculated uh, what they're doing. And uh, I I applaud them for doing it because uh, to me, it moves the ball down the field. And with somebody like Podesta, who is now very much interested in uh, publicly playing on Twitter. He's he's made it a, a, a... Really enjoyable and, and fun to watch this game unfold with his his little tweets and retweets. Um, so with this being a campaign, the campaign's going on, presidential election coming up. I think with the UFO subject out there now in front of everybody, with Hillary now making public comments, this is going to be pretty fun to watch. Yeah, I think it's significant. I would say, uh, I was thinking about it the last couple of days. I think this is basically the first time that the UFO subject has been on the front pages of newspapers since 1947. I mean, 1947 it was big. It was like a big story. And then it was like the, the, the story, like the Kucinich thing. It was like the toxic issue. You do not touch it. If you do a UFO story, you put it in, you know, the style section or something like that. This is sort of the first time that this story may actually be front page and be a big time story since 1947. Well, I'm sure we're going to hear... Well, I hope we hear a lot more about this. So we're definitely going to have to have you back on, Grant, so we can uh, follow up on this and and talk about the latest updates. But uh, really, thank you so much for coming on today and talking about this exploding story about Hillary talking about UFOs. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Grant. Well, thanks for for the interest and for uh, taking a a, uh, fair-handed view of the thing. You're one of the few media people that that, uh, will handle it properly. Oh, well, thank you, Grant. We're happy to do it, and uh, we're enjoying the ride so far. Beautiful. If you've missed any of our previous shows, you can always find our episodes on RoguePlanet.tv. That's our website. But UFO Mod Pod is also on iTunes and Stitcher, so you can find us there and subscribe. Thanks again to Grant for hanging out with us today. You can learn more about his research related to presidents and UFOs at presidentialufo.com. As always, if you have a sighting you want to share or another story that's related to UFOs, we'd love to hear from you. So use the contact form on our website, rogueplanet.tv, and send those to us. And again, the show is on iTunes. Subscribe and leave a stellar review if you enjoyed the show. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Maureen Ellsbury. Thank you so much for joining us. It's 2016 and we have big things like globular clusters in store for you this year. 